You're listening to the Glory Days of Sports podcast, being brought to you by Genesis Contracting, LLC. In the beginning, called Genesis Contracting, they do roofing, siding, gutters, and interior and exterior remodeling. Plus, they are insurance claims specialists. Call 314-517-2380. Again, 314-517-2380. Tell them you heard about them on the Glory Days of Sports podcast. On the inaugural Glory Days of Sports podcast, I talked with Ken Wilson in a two-part interview. One part talking about what he is best known for here in the St. Louis area, doing play-by-play for the St. Louis Blues. The other part of the interview talks about Ken bringing the River City Rascals to O'Fallon. As a teenager in the St. Louis area in the late 1980s and early 1990s, Saturday night was pretty important. Before I had heard of anyone calling it Hockey Night and whatever, watching a Blues game was an event at my house. Lots of good food and a great game with the Blues against the Blackhawks or Red Wings. The night was usually capped off with Saturday Night Live when SNL was still good. By the way, share on Facebook or retweet this interview by January 15th to be entered into a drawing for four free tickets to a River City Rascals game this upcoming season. Here is part one of my interview with Ken Wilson. Ken, if I had a personal Mount Rushmore of favorite broadcasters, there would be Jack Buck, Dan Kelly, Vin Scully, and you. So it is a pleasure to speak with you. Well, it's nice of you to say that, and uh, good to visit with you and uh, get a chance to talk to some old friends for a while. Back in my uh, radio play-by-play days, I probably dropped a few oh babies into some games, so do I owe you any royalties for that? No, we like oh baby and oh babies uh, at this stage of, of time. It's certainly fair game uh, for anybody, I would say. So it's, uh, <laughs> you know, still... Folks still seem to connect to old baby, so uh, let's go with it wherever we can and wherever it happens, so be it. In my top three moments of uh, sports memories, there's the uh, Miracle on Ice in 1980, the Cardinals winning the World Series in 1982, and then, of course, the Monday Night Miracle in 1986. What do you call from that night? Well, I I recall that Bill Clement and I were doing the game on ESPN. Dan was uh, doing the game on... uh, uh, the national telecast in Canada while we were obviously doing it on ESPN. I remember uh, in the pregame, I don't remember how much before the game, but Bill Clement and I were in visiting with Blues coach Jacques Demers and uh, had a nice visit with him. But, of course, I had a big advantage because I knew Jacques very well and dealing with him all the time. And we had a couple of things that came up in the ESPN production meeting and uh, – Bill Clement finally looked at everybody and said, hey, let's just go with what Ken says because Ken knows this team and knows Jacques Demers and what Jacques Demers is really telling us better than anyone. So it was a very comfortable situation for me uh, going into the game. And I remember doing an open down by the ice for the telecast. And uh, it was interesting. I mean, it's a long time ago now, uh, but certainly the finish was – the finish was just unbelievable in regulation time. Sure, I mean, it and, was, and, and, and I don't mean to interrupt you there, but um, I, I was obviously going to talk about the uh, or the regulation uh, finish, the uh, the finish in overtime. What really, I, I was looking at some highlights yesterday of it. The Blues are trailing 4-1 and then 5-2 in the third period to a good Calgary team, and they come back and tie it up with just over a minute to go. Yeah, and you think it, it seems like if you look at those highlights, I think you'd see Greg Pazlowski was uh, really crucial in in the recovery and the comeback uh, late in that game. 
Uh, and I don't want to say that Doug Wickenheiser's goal was anticlimactic because it wasn't. Sure. But gosh darn, that finish in the third period was uh, certainly as remarkable as the goal in overtime. And I guess uh, as everybody has the joy of that particular night, I think it's safe to say that a lot of people uh, were already on their way home uh, when the game actually ended because I think a lot of people in the third period thought it was over, thought the Blues were eliminated. Little did they know what would happen and, of course, go on to Calgary for Game 7. And, uh, boy, you talk about a a drop-off. As I recall, Game 7 wasn't close. And that was the end. That was the end of the season for the Blues a couple of nights later. Do, do you think in that Game 7, because you're, you're right, they just came out, and, and I was still pretty young at that point. I would have been 14 years old or so. Um, it, it, from what I can recall, they just came out flat in that game and just out of gas. Well, they, they did come out flat. I mean, I don't remember uh, all the specifics of the game. We had other other games over the years that uh, sort of mirrored that, games seven that uh, didn't go as well after uh, some climatic action. But they just, it just, it just didn't happen. You know, after a few minutes, you could see it wasn't, wasn't going to go that way. And I guess we were probably all hoping there'd be another miracle, but you don't get miracles like that uh, twice in three days, that's for sure. You mentioned a, a great name in blues history, Jacques Demers, who really uh, went on to did some great things in the NHL. Uh, what are your same favorite, some of your favorite moments with Jacques Demers? Well, I think one of the things about Jacques is he had a, had a Jacques had a great personality. Uh, he was easy to deal with. He was happy to tell you things, uh, which is usually not the case, especially as uh, time went on in the National Hockey League. They became uh, very secretive about everything, uh, especially to the media. And and Jacques was very open, uh, very cordial, uh, knew his hockey, and I think the players uh, really enjoyed playing uh, for Jacques. And uh, certainly, I, I, you know, there have been a lot of coaches I really enjoyed working with, but certainly Jacques is near the top of that list. Your thoughts on when Mike Keenan, you talk about uh, uh, interacting with a lot of coaches uh, throughout your uh, time in the National Hockey League as well as other sports as well, but when Mike Keenan came here in the mid-'90s, what were your thoughts on that? Well, I thought Mike Keenan would, uh, would make sure that the Blues won, and he did do that. Uh, certainly his personality and his style didn't go over very well with the Blues fans. Uh, I, I found him uh, intriguing intelligent, and the fact that he won everywhere he went uh, got a lot of respect from me because there's a lot of coaches that certainly didn't win wherever they went. Uh, You know, I think he was misunderstood, and I think he liked that. One of the things that Mike Keenan either had going for him or going against him was he's very intelligent. Uh, Having said that, not everybody appreciates somebody who's very intelligent. That's uh, pretty obvious not always greatly appreciated and it's often misunderstood and he would do things just for the effect he would do things for the effect uh, in the media to see how fans reacted he would say things in the media that he just wanted to see how players reacted uh, he was really way ahead of everybody else in his thought process and how he did things and he again would do a lot of things just for effect and he would often say to me Ken, what'd you think of that? <laughs> Goodness. 
<laughs> I go, you know, and I knew he was just doing it sure. to be to be different, to be crazy, to get attention. But more often than anything, he was doing it to affect players and to get players to be winners. And I think as time went on, and of course, players complained about him. Uh, you know, he would do things like not show up for practice. You know, he'd say to me, yeah, he said, I was in the car going to practice, Ken, and uh, I talked to my girlfriend. We decided to go to the winery instead. Oh, you know, and he, did, he, did, he did things like that. Sure. And, and it was to keep people off balance. And uh, unfortunately, it kept the fans off balance. And that was not uh, much of a comfort zone for the fans. But I think folks would admit that when Mike Keenan was there, the Blues probably were as close to getting to the Stanley Cup finals as they've ever been. So I, I, I think he deserves a lot more credit than than he got uh, during his tenure in St. Louis. I will get back to the Glory Days of Sports podcast in just a moment. Right now, I'm talking with Jesse Adams, the owner of Genesis Contracting, LLC. Jesse, what can you tell me about Genesis Contracting? Well, I started Genesis Contracting because I wanted to have a, a personal relationship with my customers. Genesis Contracting was started to do roof repairs, roof replacements, gutters, siding, generally everything on the outside of the house, but we also do interior remodeling and, and things like that. But um, I'm a customer service oriented type of guy, and so uh, the company that I was working for didn't, didn't seem to have as much interest in having that kind of relationship with the customer, so that's why I started Genesis Contracting. You mentioned being inside and outside, uh, and I recently saw that on your Facebook page of Genesis Contracting. What can you tell me about some of the projects that you guys have done inside and outside? Well, outside, of course, we do roof, gutters, siding, soffit fascia, um, and decks. We do concrete work as well, patio replacements. And on the inside, we do painting and uh, basement uh, remodels, bathroom remodels, pretty much anything that's not new construction we're capable of taking care of. You hit on one thing customer service. I can't tell you how huge of a thing that is for me. To me, it's all about customer service. I enjoy having a relationship with people. Um, When we're working on people's homes, it's their biggest investment, and they want to know that they are working with somebody that can be trusted, and um, I like bringing that to the table. What about insurance claims? Are you guys uh, involved with insurance claims at all? Yes, I have a lot of experience doing insurance claims, so if your home has been damaged by wind or hail or even fire, uh, I work closely with insurance companies to um, take care of your insur- insurance claim. I can do all the back and forth between uh, the insurance company and, and the customer and just make sure that the job gets completed from start to finish. Jesse Adams of Genesis Contracting, LLC. Jesse, how can people get a hold of Genesis Contracting? You can call me at 314-517-2380 or reach me by email at jesse, J-E-S-S-E dot Genesis Contracting at gmail.com. And uh, also on social media, Facebook, you can find us, Genesis Contracting. That is Jesse Adams with Genesis Contracting, LLC. Give him a call, 314-517-2380. Again, 314-517-2380. And check him out on Facebook. Be sure to tell him you heard about them on the Glory Days of Sports podcast. Another one of my favorite moments, uh, Ken Wilson moments. And, um, you know, I guess it was a a different time in the hockey world. So uh, I'm going to bring up a couple of moments, and and they involve fisticuffs. Uh, But another favorite Ken Wilson moment of mine was when Curtis Joseph and Tim Shevelday squared off. Here comes Shevelday, and uh, Curtis Joseph and Tim Shevelday meet up at center ice. Well, I was surprised. And I think that, uh, you know, when I go, here comes Shevelday. 
you know, I was surprised. And I think it sounded surprised when, you know, people ever look back at that. Because, you know, that didn't happen. Sure. It was one thing to have one goalie wandering out there, but then, uh, you know, to see both of them. So th- that was quite a battle. And I, I think that, uh, you know, nowadays there's not a lot of fighting in the National Hockey League. And they're trying to reduce it all the time. Uh, I have mixed emotions. I've always had mixed emotions about right. fighting. I, th- I think the physical aspect of the game is crucial to it. Uh, I think fighting has its place. Uh, yet, speed and skating and skill uh, is never to be overlooked. That's what the game is is all about. So, finding a balance uh, can be very difficult. But back back in the old days of the '80s and the '90s, uh, that meanness and that toughness and the, the physical aspect of the game uh, probably was a little more prevalent. Uh, at times, uh, the tough guys, the fighters on a team would almost uh, have a predetermined event sort of saying to each other by signal or by nod that, hey, I'm ready to go tonight if you're ready to go, and and they would go. And that was part of the psychology of uh, how the game was going to go, was how the fight was going to go. But, but you know, hockey has always been physical, and uh, I I'm not a big fan of, taking a lot of the physical play out of the game. I know I have a high school senior who plays hockey, and they don't check. And, I mean, you know, to me, to play hockey without checking right. is, is, is very difficult. I mean, sure. when I was a kid, I played defense. You know, when you're a defenseman and you essentially can't touch anybody or check them, it makes it very hard to play the game. You can only, you know, you can only finesse playing defense so much. So I, you know, I call the league he plays. I call it the petticoat league. <laughs> gotcha. And, you know, I mean, I'd been a lot better player if I was in a, in, <laughs> right. a, in a game that didn't check. I I wouldn't have to be looking up all the time, and I might be able to hold the puck on my stick oh my for goodness. more than five seconds if I if I didn't have to worry about getting hit. But uh, anyway, you know, things change. I think the game is much better. But uh, those are some interesting memories of some of the fights. And, some of the battles, especially the Blues and the Blackhawks and the Blues and the Red Wings that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll all remember for a long time. Well, I've got one more uh, night that stands out as far as uh, a night, and, and you mentioned finding a balance between the skill level, the talent, and then the fighting. There was one night back in 1991 up at the old Chicago Stadium where there was absolutely no balance with that. St. Patrick's Night, and some people call it the St. Patrick's Day Massacre, when you saw quite a few bench-clearing brawls throughout the night. Uh, uh, do you remember the night that I'm talking about referring to? Well, I, how many hundreds <laughs> of years ago was that? Right. And, 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 and the one thing, when, when I go to YouTube and I look at highlights of that night, one player that stands out uh, from that night, I mean, there were several players, was Scott Stevens for the Blues. Um, and we'll come back to the question I just asked you, but one thing I've always thought about Scott Stevens, I always wonder what the Blues would have done if Scott Stevens would have been still wearing a blue note after one season? I, I thought Scott Stevens was a fabulous player. I think most people thought he was really a terrific player. Uh, but when I saw him play every night, uh, I had a lot more respect for him. What, what he did is he controlled the puck so much, so much in his own end, and, and was obviously highly skilled, very physical, a very smart player, and I, as highly regarded as Scott Stevens still is today, I would say he was an underrated player. Wow. And I, I gained so much respect for him in the season he had with the Blues. And certainly if the Blues had, 
been able to uh, keep Scott Stevens, they would have been a lot better hockey team because he he really I thought was terrific in the one season he was with the Blues. Absolutely. So that one night that uh, St. Patrick's Day in uh, Chicago, um, what do you uh, recall from moments of that? Well, give me some hints to what I should recall. Well, I, because I, I don't recall it. <laughs> um, I, I remember uh, just uh, a number of bench clearing brawls. Uh, Scott Stevens and oh, I'm trying to think of the Chicago player. Um, they they squared off a couple of times at uh, center ice. You know, I guess just in general, and we don't have to talk to, uh, specifically about uh, St. Patrick's Day, uh, that St. Patrick's Day massacre, but just that, and you mentioned Chicago and Detroit back in those days, uh, just the intensity level of those rivalries, your thoughts on those uh, types of games. Well, they, they, were, they always had a little bit of an edge to them. Uh, you know, a great, great rivalry, and it went back. You know, when you go back to the days of the games being played at Chicago Stadium and being played at the arena, you know, it really was a lot of unbelievable uh, atmosphere. Uh, when I was a young broadcaster going to Chicago Stadium, it was uh, special for me. I mean, I grew up in Detroit going to the Olympia, which was a 12,000-seat building. And then the first time I went to Chicago as a broadcaster, and actually I did the Blackhawks for a couple of seasons, uh, the atmosphere, it was such a big building compared to what I was used to in Detroit because there was closer to 20,000 seats. But the organ and uh, the fans were just, you know, sensational, just like they've always been in St. Louis. So the rivalry was always great. And the, and the good thing was, if you think back, uh, the Blackhawks generally have always been a real good team. The Blues have generally always been a real good team. So the skill level uh, added on to the natural rivalry always has made, you know, for great games. And think of all the times that the Blues and Blackhawks uh, got together in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I mean, it, you know, it just never got any better. And I, I think certainly in, you know, summarizing, you'd have to say that the fans, as much as anything, made it the great rivalry that it was. One of those uh, postseason matchups. Uh, were you on the call in 1993 when Craig Janney scored an overtime goal in Game 4 against the Blackhawks to complete a four-game sweep? Were you on a, on a call for that game? Yep, I'd have been there. That, uh, that, that four-game sweep, I remember, uh, again, I was still uh, fairly young, but uh, just for the Blues, you know, you're right, the, the Blues and Blackhawks have met a number of times, obviously, throughout the uh, their histories in the playoffs. But unfortunately, the Blackhawks have the upper hand in how many times they've won series. But in 1993, we swept them. And, and for a young fan at that time to see the Blues um, sweep the Blackhawks, that's the uh, series that culminated with uh, Janney scoring the overtime goal and then uh, Ed Belfort going ballistic and uh, hammering away at the uh, goalposts. <laughs> Good stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, Ed Belfort would have done that. And it's interesting you bring up the name Craig Janney. I was thinking about him the other day. Can't recall why I was thinking about him, but, uh, of course, Brett Hull had played with Adam Oates. Right. And then all of a sudden Craig Janney was uh, centering Brett. Uh, that was a bit of a tough transition for Brett, uh, as, as it turned out. But Janney was certainly not a physical player, but he was a very uh, good playmaker, and I'm sure that's a goal that uh, a lot of people remember. That is the end of the first part of my interview with Ken Wilson. On the next part, he talks about bringing the River City Rascals to O'Fallon, what he is up to these days, and what he did in between the Blues, the Rascals, and now. You've been listening to the Glory Days of Sports podcast, being brought to you by Genesis Contracting, LLC. 
In the beginning, called Genesis Contracting, they do roofing, siding, gutters, and interior and exterior remodeling. Plus, they are insurance claims specialists. Call 314-517-2380, 314-517-2380. Tell them you heard about them on the Glory Days of Sports podcast. Music is courtesy of bensound.com. Make sure to like my Facebook page, Glory Days of Sports, and follow me on Twitter at Voice of St. Chaz.